Welcome to the Love Good Podcast brought to you by our patrons. This is Jimmy Mitchell, your host. Join me each week as I sit down with artists and thought leaders to chat about music, culture, and what we call the art of being human. You see, Love Good's more than a subscription company. We're a movement of artists and patrons who believe in the power of beauty to evangelize our culture. And we're so pumped you're here. I'm sitting down with Dr. Ryan Hanning today. <laughs> Suffering is a school for hope. I know that sounds a little bit intense, especially given the fact that we are still in the Easter season. Like suffering was a month ago, not today. But let's be honest, the world and most of our lives are fraught with suffering. Now, I'm a big optimist, I'm kind of naturally hardwired to be hopeful. But that being said, I can't escape suffering. It's one of those aspects of life that is completely universal. You can't escape it. It's just a part of the human experience. So what do we do in the midst of it? How do we turn suffering into a school of hope? Better yet, how do we let the Lord turn our suffering into a school of hope? That's so much of our conversation today with Dr. Ryan Hanning. That's really at the heart, I do believe, of what it means to be human, to know how to suffer well, to ultimately unite that suffering to the suffering of the cross. But this is going to be a really cool conversation, especially for those of you who are struggling out there. It's been well over a year now since COVID-19 hit, and that has brought all kinds of effects on all of us. Health, economic, psychological. There's just a lot of crazy things that are still unfolding that most of us don't have answers to. And again, that's a huge suffering as well to just be uncertain, to live in the anxiety of uncertainty sometimes as well. So it's going to be a really deep, really fun conversation. Well, maybe not fun, certainly deep, certainly meaningful hopefully really inspiring for all of you like it was for Ryan and I. But for now, kick back and enjoy this beautiful excerpt by Stephen Day from our most recent Fireside Sessions. Summer came to keep spring away Till she falls asleep And the long night of winter goes away And I'm not saying that I've done the same But something today Tells me the sun and the flowers are on their way. Seasons change for a good reason, babe. Don't you leave me out here in the cold. Go make a list of things, and I'll be the pen and paper. We got all the time. Ryan Hanning, welcome back. We are back. We're back. <laughs> it is joyful being with you every single time. It, you know, it's, it's interesting too, because like, I, I, at a certain point, we just got to make B-roll the thing that we do. It's true. We're really good at it. Because like me. all this conversation that we have on air is usually just like what teases us <laughs> up for the conversation we have afterwards over it, coffee. It's funny too. As soon as I hit the record button off, I think I should have done that. Yeah. It's all these in between. I mean, we had a whole discourse on SART and nativity yeah. and things that we may or may not ever get to in the podcast. It was funny too, like for my experience of like my my graduate experience of education was really cool. Like, yeah. I mean, kind of, kind of selfishly, you know, ideal. Like it was amazing. So like, you know, 
you're spending summers where like what you do is like you go to Oxford and avail yourself of the great dons. Like when you're living in, plus it's John, now St. John Henry's home. Like there's just, you know, like you know, Newman's everywhere around you. You know, Spencer and these other great minds are all around you. But, you know, the conversations that were the most meaningful always happened in the hall and in the rec room. Yeah. I remember one time asking one of the professors, the former Royal Admiral, Mm. Professor Holmes, uh, Dr. Holmes, you know. Uh, of course his name is Holmes. You know, it, amazing. So like, let me give you the backdrop. So my first experience, Professor Holmes, who's, who's probably the foremost Arabist, he's an expert of the Arabic language, mm. devout Catholic uh, man of, of, of faith and deep learning, fellow of Oriel College. Like I went to Oriel College to go see, you know, to go experience Newman. That's where he attended. And I went there and they don't let you in, right? There's no, like Oriel's not big enough to have like tours. It's not like Christchurch or the other ones that have, you know, Tours all the time. As long as you don't step on the grass. Yeah, don't step, don't, no, I was allowed to. I was actually able to go out in the quad. Really? Because yeah. it was a special day or yeah. what? No, because I was, I was up there as a researcher. So it's different. <laughs> Anyways, but go to Oriel College and they like, won't let you in. I'm like, oh, my Professor Holmes told me I can come. They're like, oh, Professor Holmes, you're a student. <laughs> come in. And his first experience of him was literally him walking into like a small, I can't even call it a lecture hall. It was just like a small room. Like, I'll just be honest. Like it was just a small room. Students there, he's coming in and give our guest lecture. And he walks in with like the double-breasted, royal blue coat with the, the gold buttons, wearing a yellow Ashcroft, literally smoking a pipe of mild Cavendish, right? Like walking in to teach us, you know? Anyways, I remember talking to him one night in the rec room. We would all, afterwards, we have a pub on campus and we would spend, it was almost obligatory, right? Yeah. You would have to at least be there after evening prayer and after dinner, you would go wash up and then come down to the pub. And everyone would sit around and, and drink and, and talk. and, and uh, So a popcorn machine? And no popcorn machine, but we had a really cool, what we call the beer closet, which is like a closet, which they kept locked during certain hours, but that was what would be opened up for the pub. At Seminary Pub had popcorn and oh, like two or three taps, and you were expected to be down there every night as oh, well. Yeah, Same kind of culture. Yeah, fellowship, yeah, dude. And so I remember talking to him about one time, about like what role this plays in our education. And he says, oh, it's only an American would ask that question. Right? <laughs> but he described this. So, you know, he goes, because we understand that everything we do in the context of the classroom or in what we assign to read is meant to be played out in the dramatic play of minds that happens in hallways. And I remember saying, there, be like, I need to write that down. But I knew if I wrote it down, he'd be mad at me. He'd be like, <laughs> you're precisely the problem, right? Because it's just meant to be received, right? So yeah. like, these conversations that happen offline are usually you know, everything you do. I mean, right? education is like that. Everything we do in that setting is yeah. meant to inform our mind and the conversations that happen outside of it. Yeah. And it's in that dynamic interplay where those things are fleshed out. Like mm. Newman says this beautiful, this line one time where he says, you know, when you're coming to an idea, you need to have both accountability and freedom with your, your friends mm. to help you like come to conclusions about that idea. Because it's the lively play of minds that will arrive at a meaningful conclusion. Yeah. Right. So this this accountability to actually believe and, and let that belief impact your life. But then the ability to be wrong too and say, hey, I'm just yeah. trying this out. Does this sound right to you? Yeah. And that happens off the air here in the Love Good Studio. And it's cool though, because obviously this is very normal for us to have conversations like this with each other, but also with other people in our lives. You, you were telling me about, is it a monthly group or a weekly group of men that you get together with? Yeah, so we, about every month, a group of us that did Exodus 90 together, we walk together through a lot. We just meet at Leatherwood Distillery, another gem outside of Nashville. Andy is a master distiller there. He became a master distiller on his fourth tour of duty. He's a green beret. Wow. And he's as salty as you can imagine. Like we do Bible study there. And so like he'll come up and like every other word's a cuss word as we talk about the love of Christ. And then he'll apologize. Like, I'm sorry, I got to stop cussing around you guys. <laughs> but anyhow, he's, uh, we go up there on, on Fridays and have honest conversation. And the conversation goes like this. How are you? Not 
how are you doing, but how are you, full stop. How's your prayer life? What's the Lord placing on your heart as a father, as a husband, as a brother? And how are you fulfilling your vocation? Right. And, and, and that might only be 10% of the conversation and the 90 other percent is talking about, you know, yeah. the, the recent football game, but having those conversations is just so essential. I remember telling my wife one time, she's like, I'm so happy that you have this type of thing. Cause guys need that. She's right. Yeah. And I said, yeah, but honey, don't, don't, don't think, don't overthink it. Like it's not like 90% God talk. Right. It's like, honey, at best it's like 10%. And she goes, oh, I know that. Like, she wasn't surprised by it. She's like, but that 10% informs then so and important. makes the other conversation, it does. Yeah. It makes the other conversation meaningful. This and- was me two nights ago. I mean, when I come to Nashville now, I just kind of stack my schedule with people that I really want to see as, as long as, you know, in, in COVID times, it's possible to see them. Mm-hmm. And so really all of my best friends from college, we were hanging out and, you know, for the most part, just drinking great scotch, whiskey, whatever our our liking was. And and then we had a couple of guys that we all knew right out of college that we had mentored when they were in high school who happened to now be priests, nice, right? Nice. Father Bolster, Father Wilgenbush. Oh, good men, good men. Really good men. Longtime patrons of Love Good too. And suddenly we had this dynamic of then there was a sage figure, you know, oh, yeah. in the room and that was Tom Frazier. These are all just really, oh, really yeah. good men here in Nashville. All of whom actually, I think are love good patrons. So nice. that's not even me uh, trying to connect those dots. A little fraternus connection it, there too. It, 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 really involved fraternus. But most of us just went to college together and realized how deeply we needed fraternity and accountability. And you're right. So much of our conversations isn't God talk. It, it isn't diving into the scriptures. It isn't, jumping into our deepest, darkest struggles, mm-hmm. you know, but there's this profound awareness that we are all in this together. And I, yeah. I just keep thinking about this, especially when it comes to suffering, yep. you know, just off air a few moments ago, telling you about just a, an incredible season of suffering that some very dear friends of mine are going through. And right at the onset of that suffering, I was, I was present, I was mm-hmm. over for dinner and everything just kind of began unfolding at once. And there's something incredibly precious, painful, mm-hmm. and I would say vital yeah. about being with people in their suffering. Yep. I, I always think about Jesus and Lazarus. You know, it's like he let the guy die. Yeah. He had every bit of power and foresight to 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 save him before he died, but he let him die and then he let him remain dead for four days for a lot of different reasons that yeah. we can get into maybe in another podcast. But one of the most important reasons was so that he could suffer with Martha and Mary. He weeps bitterly. He just shows up in their pain and says, I'm not going anywhere. That's so powerful. It's amazing. Yeah. You know, so one of the questions we we, we ought to be asking each other right now is like, not if you're suffering, but like how you're suffering. Because the reality is in in times of pandemic and just the frailty of human nature, we're all suffering. And not, you know, and and I don't buy the whole, you know, all life is suffering because it's not. But there are these punctuated moments of suffering that <laughs> we're meant to enter into. Yeah. And and we talked, you know, off air a minute ago that, you know, the reality is that this is often where your character is determined. Like who mm. you really are comes out of these moments of suffering. And so, so much of life is figuring out how to suffer well and to suffer with others. I and mean, we even have a, a, a virtue in our Christian faith that's unique to our Christian faith. Which we com- never hear about. Yeah, compassion to suffer. Oh, I thought you were gonna say long suffering. Oh, or long suffering too. Thing? Yeah, no, it's not the same thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, so compassion being able to suffer along with somebody else. Long suffering is is not to expect, is the virtue of being able to to, to not expect an immediate resolution. Like patience basically. Yeah, well, long suffering is, is the ability to endure. It's so, actually it, it's connected to, to courage. And so oh, courage okay. has both audacity yeah. and then perseverance. And long yeah. suffering is part of suffering well. In this very moment, we're just reminding the whole world yet again, who, who is the professor and who's the student, who's yeah. the people here. 
Professor Ryan. I, I don't know if that's true, but we'll, I'll take it. I'll take it today. No, but yeah, this idea that suffering really defines who you are in many ways. So I, I would say, you know, if you want to give yourself like a gut check, like a real gut check, you have to ask yourself, are, are the things that, that make me mourn and break my heart and the things that bring me the greatest joy worthy of who I am? Ooh, I say like, that like, again. Like stop, full stop, think about that. Are the things that, that, that break my heart <clears throat> and the things that fill me with joy worthy of me, mm. right? Like if, if my wow. greatest joy is like drinking this coffee, which again, I'm going to go back to, this is not a product placement, just my love for the coffee you serve while I'm here. I might, you know, I'll say this, if I was really honest, I might just be coming here for the conversation and the coffee. But, you know, so being honest about like, you know, the things that really fill your heart with joy, are they really wow. worthy of you? And the things that really break your heart, is it worthy of you? Like oh, for yeah. instance, I mean, I'll give you an example. Have you ever had a friend that has a natural and maybe even appropriate love of animals, but that doesn't also extend to humans and like mm. the scandal of that. Cause they're like, yeah, you should suffer when an animal suffers, but, but you should all, you should suffer more when a human suffers. Right. Yeah. If I, if I hit a dog, I'm sad. If I hit a deer, I'm sad. If I hit a person, it's a different level of yeah. sad, yeah. right. As yeah. it should be. And so to really think about this, like, are, are we willing to suffer? Cause what happens is for a lot of us is in those moments that should be the, the deepest moments of suffering, the deepest joy, we actually run away from them which is crazy to think in this hedonistic world, but we we actually run away from both. Yeah. And so there's these great, great theologians like C.S. Lewis, you know, it says, okay, if you're not able to actually suffer well, you're not able to enter into joy well. Mm. They're like part of the same same experience of the human heart. His, his, in fact, his book, and, and I write about an article on this in Hearth and Field called Suffering Well in Time of Pandemic. Mm. And I just borrow, you know, C.S. Lewis, he has these six points about, about suffering. Problem of pain? Or? Problem of pain, yeah. yep. And so... You know, the, the reality is, is that, you know, we're called to enter in those moments and recognize you know, a few things. One, that they're pedagogical, right? That these moments of suffering actually teach us and help separate the wheat from the chaff, right? Help mm. separate which, which is most essential and which is least essential. So they do that. So they're pedagogical. They, they teach us about who we are. And they teach us also about the sort of what, what, you know, is sort of a big theological word, but this anagogical sense that teaches us about who we're supposed to be. Yeah. Right, so suffering also always gives us a view of, of what are we after this. Right? Isn't it interesting when we enter in suffering? Right, even if we're not looking for immediate resolution, we recognize that 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 this is doing something in us—not just teaching us wow. a lesson, but also calling us to either expound our heart or you know. And this is not even a this wow. is not even about the emotional life. Yeah. Right. Like so, like for instance, I mean, so my family and I got together recently, and because my daughter was home. The first movie my kids ever saw in the movie theater was the movie The Crudes. And I remember my wife and I approached media a particular way. And we want anything that we invest our time in as a family to have some redemptive value. Whether that redemptive value comes from the discussion, from the experience, or even sometimes we're, we're open to having what we call a negative experience for the purpose of sort of entering and saying, what was wrong with that? Yeah. Right, with the older kids especially. Sure. But so we found this movie. I checked out plug.in or pluggedin.com, which is folks on the family sort of movie site. And they do a great job of reviews that just sort of say, hey, here's what it is. You, you choose for yourself. So we went and saw that movie. So Crudes 2 came out. And so hmm. we, we saw that. We saw that movie together recently. And there's actually like a line in there that talks about like this sort of entering into suffering, which is, I can't remember it offhand, but just the, the reality that like, that actually fashions who you are. Mm. Like those moments of great suffering and great joy actually punctuate our life. Yeah. And if you've ever told your testimony or told how you met a friend or told when he came over adversity, chances are those are actually united to each other. Yeah. Moments of great suffering, moments of great joy are actually, you know, together. Intertwined. And, and so I think we, we have to, as Christians, as, as just people, as humans, 
we have to be willing to enter into that. And C.S. Lewis helps us walk through that. Crudes too, in a different way, helps us enter into that, right? That there's going to be moments of, of, of punctuated pain and suffering. And so the line from the movie is, she says, how come all the other pain I've had, I can see the marks of? And she's talking about the scars she has in her body as being, you know, this sort of Neanderthal, right? But now she's having this drama with, with the boy she loves, right? It's a, it's a hilarious movie. I highly recommend it, which is odd to say about an animated movie about cavemen. Anyways, <laughs> but she says, how come the things that, that he hurt me most don't leave a mark? Yeah. And her mom says, but they do. And it's this really poignant moment. And what the mom is saying is that I see your suffering. The mother is filled with compassion and sees the suffering. And it's true, the deepest wounds in our life, I mean, Let's just ask the question, you know, what's your most serious injury? And does it even compare to the time your heart was broken the most? Yeah. Like, I mean, honestly, like I have, I've had some pretty significant injuries because I'm, I'm kind of clumsy and I'm not, I'm not, you know, I don't have a high tolerance of pain. And so like, I have a lot of like, there's a lot of stories where I'm like, that was really bad pain. But like, none of that even compares to like being rejected as a 16 year old or yeah, something like, you know, like, yeah. even like normal type of suffering. And so the reality is that those are serious like wounds that we have to deal with. Mm. And the Lord actually shows up and enters into that. Like yeah. the basic gospel is like a Lord saying, hey, here I am. And I am, I'm running to that situation to be with you. You know, and like, I mean, we have entire books of the Bible, like Hebrews is about this, about God entering in, right, to this. I mean, the mm. incarnation, this is the mystery of the incarnation, the scandal of the incarnation, God would enter in, not just to bring us to joy, but to enter into that suffering too, which also has meaning. So- Something you said a minute ago that really jumped out at me. It, it, suffering teaches us who we are and who we are meant to be. Yeah. I mean, for all the reasons you just mentioned, I could point to all of the key moments in my own life where, you know, the world kind of goes gray for a second. Yeah. You're just- emotionally numb. The pain is so, is so intense. And, you know, it depending on the personality, depending on temperament, probably, you know, you, you either kind of go into crisis and fix it mode or, mm -hmm. or take care of others first mode, you know, but there always comes a moment where the invitation to suffer well is before you and to grieve and to yep. enter into the pain and, and to really experience it in all of its depth, but also in all of its redemptive power. Yeah. And here's, what's crazy. Again, as you say, it not only teaches us who we are, but who we are meant to be. One of the like profound joys of being with this family right at the onset of this tremendous suffering that they were going through is that suddenly I was actually in charge of the kids hmm. because they needed somebody to, to, to stay home and be with these kids right in the midst of this really, really horrible situation that was suddenly unfolding out of nowhere when I happened to be over there for wow. dinner. And here's what was crazy. Is, do you know, I've never babysat a day in my life. I mean, don't tell them this. For right? such a time as this. But yeah. I have never been entrusted with three children in my entire life for five seconds, much less five hours. And it ended up becoming- In, in the moment of crisis. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? And, and do you know what it was teaching me in a really deep and profound way? How much I continue to hope beyond hope for my own vocation one mm. day. For this joy of being- a husband of being a father. Cause sometimes I get kind of wild and crazy with my dreams and my hopes and my ambitions. And I, I forget the profound joy and, and, and the poignant moments that come with this exclusive committed love that is the domestic church, that is family life. Mm -hmm. And to be honest, I, 
I didn't sleep very much because there was also a puppy in the house that every couple of hours was wailing because it needed to go outside and pee. And that puppy also peed three different times, pooped once, and I'm I'm Mr. Mom. Yep. So I'm having to take care of these three kids. And, you know, there's just a lot of confusion, a lot of uncertainty, but thank God there's enough, there was enough trust yeah. even, you know, w- with the kids for them to say, okay, we're going to be all right. Jimmy's here, <laughs> which is a crazy thing. Yeah. But it was beautiful. That's what's crazy is the way that suffering and beauty and redemption, joy, pain, it all kind of commingles sometimes. And you yeah. just realize this is actually the stuff that life is is about. And know? suffering predisposes the soul in a particular way for what joy is meant to be. Yeah. Right. And like good art does this, right? We see this all the time. Yeah. Good art has a way of drawing us out of ourselves. And I'll say, so, you know, suffering is both pedagogical, right? In this, in this way of what it, you know, what in this sort of teach, direct teaching in terms of preparation, but also what, what we're called to be. So who we are, and what we're called to be. But there's also this reality that, that suffering actually calls us to communion. Yeah. Which is really amazing. Wow. So even when we're alone in our suffering, which is fine, and there's, there's stages of grief people go through, but, but this reality that we're, we're called to be brought into it. I mean, so like, it is a really, authentic question like how are you suffering right now mm, you know yeah and the truth is we have an entire consumer market yeah that knows this and strategically sells to us on this right we, i mean you go to any sales training they're like oh what are the pain points where are they suffering how can we alleviate it i got like five books about pain points right up there oh exactly yeah and it's so annoying and, and for whatever use of that you can do even legitimately in uh-huh. trying to provide some good for somebody like you know Everywhere else, we sort of understand this. Yeah. And so for the, for the Christian, and even just for the, 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 the goodwill of the human, like suffering, you have, you have some options, right? So either you can run away from suffering, not recommended. Um, <laughs> or you can run to suffering, also not recommended. <laughs> right? And so C.S. Lewis says, you know, that if the gospel teaches anything, it's not that, you know, if we will suffer, it's when we will suffer. Yeah. And whether or not we will enter into that suffering in a way that's dignified. Mm. So what, is, what does it look like to enter into that dignified? You know, it, it means to recognize the characteristics of suffering, to one, admit that we're suffering, to recognize that the suffering is meant to teach us something and point out some either woundedness that we is sort of not yet, and that's what are we to become. And it's also meant to call us to community. Yeah. And, you know, one of the, one of the beautiful things of, of suffering well is that it, it's not just meant to commiserate, right? You know, it's like... Sometimes it's funny. I, I have this tendency as a sanguine, right? We always talk about. We always talk about temperament, but like I'm, I'm sort of stuck on it. You know, you have to write a book on it. You feel like you have to. Which be is stuck also on it. another moment to remind you to go and get your copy of the Willpower Advantage: Building Habits for Lasting Happiness, co-written by Tom Peterson and Dr. Ryan Henning. This episode, in fact, is brought to you by <laughs> Ignatius Press. Yeah, whatever your pain points are. No, anyway, so go um, <laughs> buy it today. So the you know, the, the reality is that. that this call to community is, is, is not just mental friends. Like I, I myself and someone will tell me they're suffering. And I immediately think that's an invitation for me to compare my suffering to theirs. That's oh, not, right? that's like the that's, worst thing yes, to do. It's so annoying. You know, so rather <laughs> like we're just called to like enter into, I remember one time when my, so oh, probably yeah. honestly, one of the moments of so the deepest moment of pain for a parent, probably next to losing a child is to have a child violated or to suffer, to have some brokenness in a child. Yeah. And a parent, a parent, a father carries that differently than a mother does, right? It's part of our biological genius, right? A mother carries that in a type of brokenness that she has. A father carries it in a time of like, I want to solve this. Mm-hmm. And we're going to a deep, uh, a deep friend the next day, a horrible event happened in our family. And I go to Father Peter Luzzi, this, this, this holy Italian priest who's also my boss. Mm-hmm. And, and um, I immediately move in my moment of brokenness, I'm weeping and, and I'm like, I start to move to like how I'm going to fix this, what I'm going to do about it. 
and he just stops me. I mean, like he, he like shouts, he like interrupts. He's like, stop, Ryan, you need to be broken. And he says, the Lord cannot fix you unless you admit you're broken. He's like, like in other words, like I'm not telling you not to enter into this. I'm not telling you not to come up with a solution. I'm telling you right now, the, the moment of this, this, you're just meant to enter into it. Yeah. And he's like, and I'm here with you and others are here with you. And like, this is just really, and he just embraced me. I remember like, like this overwhelming fear of like, okay, wow. Like, yeah, I get it. I don't have all the solutions. I don't have all the answers, right? But but this is moving somewhere. This is the, yeah. the redemptive nature of suffering. And so we don't run to it. We don't run away from it. But when it comes, we enter into it. Yeah. We almost lean into it. So again, going back to my favorite poet, Jessica Powers, she talks about this, right? That we we lean into the suffering the Lord brings, not because we enjoy it, but because we're willing to recognize that it actually helps us become who we are. Mm. It helps us navigate. I mean, even right now, this whole period of pandemic, right? What's really happening is this painful purgative process of either recognizing the essentials and leaning into them mm. or conflating the secondaries for essentials. Yeah, Those accidental things that will never really fulfill us. And I, I really think like right now after the pandemic, if there's going to be two groups of people that arrive out of this whole situation, this whole trial, there's been other times in history, even during this, it's either people who are willing to sort of elevate the essentials, say, hey, look, mm-hmm. I, you know, what I'm about is being a father or what I value myself at is, is this, right? Or people that now are going to pour themselves into these secondary things are probably not worthy of breaking their heart yeah. or filling their heart with joy because we're not made for those things. Mm. And so, you know, the, the, the person who I think you know, does this so well is, is people who <clears throat> don't have a dog in the game in terms of like Christian faith and theology. Hmm. And so, you know, one of the recent articles I write is about Sartre and, and the scandal of the incarnation. Believe it or not, in 1940, I set the stage, you know, World War II, the, the Belgium essentially think they can go in and the French think they can go in and there's a tactical error and, and they think they can rout the Germans and they end up essentially falling in like four weeks. So like within a month, not only did Germany invade Poland, which the moment Germany invaded Poland, then the UK and France declared war immediately. That was like the red line. And France and Belgium were like overtaken within four weeks, just a, a, a startling defeat. Mm. And in that, Jean-Paul Sartre, the famous atheistic, agnostic, nihilistic philosopher of renown, who had just writ- written the most popular book called La Nausée, which means the nausea, about a person coming to the reality and grips with there being no meaning in the world, mm. right? Because Jean-Paul Sartre believed there was no human nature, no meaning in the world. And he ends up being a weatherman, a meteorologist in the army. And is captured and put into a POW camp in Trevay, France, in Stulog number 12. We even know the house he was in Hmm. with a bunch of Jesuits. Wow. And they come to him and the Jesuits are celebrating mass for the captors and the captives alike. And Jean-Paul Sartre actually enters into these deep friendships. And he's writing to his longtime lover, Simone Bouvier, who is also a philosopher, about these experiences. And he ends up being asked by one of the, the priests there to write a nativity play. And Jean-Paul Sartre decides to write. So he, he looks at the gospel with these critical and fresh eyes. Mm. So he, he believes none of what I believe, none of what you believe. But he enters into this and he just says, look, we're going we're gonna to take it for, we're going to take it as if this is truth. Mm. And he writes this most beautiful play called the Bariona. I don't have time to go into it, but just, I, I would say this, the most beautiful words ever written about Mary outside of scripture and liturgy are contained within this wow. short nativity play. How do you spell that? The... 
So yeah. Bariona, B-A-R-I-O-N-A. Nice. And it's the name of the main character who's the Bariona, the Baron, or the mayor of the small town outside of Bethlehem. So the, the basic narrative is this, is Jesus is being born. It, the play takes place over 24 hours. Mm. So I'll just give you a little t- tidbit. So it's a, it's a village that's being overtaxed by the Romans and they don't have any children. So there's no future. And the mayor decides he has to come to conclusion that they are dying and that their life is meaningless and that he has to get the elders to believe this. And so he has not had a child. And so he convinces all the other elders that they won't have any more children. And the only thing they give the Romans is their death. So they're just gonna not, they're just gonna die off. Mm. They're just gonna, he says, that the greatest dignity of the human is to recognize they have no hope. Wow. wow. This is, and this is Sartre's philosophy. Wow. Enter now his wife who says, I'm pregnant, right after he swore this oath. And so his wife enters in and says, I'm pregnant. I now have a reason to hope. How could you say there's no hope? And so now this is the tension. Same time, fast forward, just within 20 minutes, the angels come and visit the shepherds wow. and announce this new joy. And the shepherds have to travel through Bethel or Bethur rather, which instantly means house of light. I don't know if Sartre knew Hebrew, but that's what it means. And have to go through as so they come to this village announcing the good news on the way to Bethlehem. Wow. And the main character, Barona, has lost hope. And he decides that he's going to take matters in his own hands. So not only does he want to kill his own child, he actually wants to kill the Christ child now because he thinks this Christ child is going to essentially lead them to failure because he learns from a mystic that this Christ child will suffer and die. It doesn't make any sense to him. So he goes and he ends up having a conversion on his way. So he goes the back route and he encounters the shepherds. He encounters Balthazar, one of the three wise men. Mm. And in the play, Bariona is played by one of the priests. And Balthazar, who's the voice of reason, who's the opposite, who's the philosophy of hope, he says, no, man's dignity in his, is, in, is found in his hope amidst suffering. Yeah. Right, this beautiful truth of the scandal of the incarnation that God would actually become one of us and that suffering is actually redemptive. That's meant to point out that we're not yet there in life. Mm. We're made for more, right? And it's in that setting that he has a conversion and he goes and he says, I'm going to do it anyways. And he meets an angel along the way and the angel says, before you do this act, look into Joseph's eyes and see the face of hope. Oh, man. And he goes and he's there and he sees his, his wife and all the other elders coming to worship Christ. And he goes behind the nativity and he doesn't see Jesus. He doesn't see Mary, but he says, those eyes, I am mm. defeated. And he says there in Joseph's eyes, he sees the hope of a protector, right? And so it's an incredible play. And then the narrator gives this beautiful soliloquy about how he would paint the nativity, about how, Mary would be the only woman in human history to hold within her arms the God-born man, mm. God made of her flesh, a God who she could wrap in her embrace and smother with kisses. Wow. So anyway, so this, this idea that Sartre then, not having this, is able to look at the proclamation that Christians make about the meaning of human suffering with this real fascination and, and point it out for sort of what it is. Now, it's interesting that Sartre himself was never converted by writing this play. He, in fact, he hid it. And he, he did one publication of it 10 years later, 500, press, 500 prints to his friends because they were all saying it to print it. And he wrote a paragraph beforehand saying, I wrote this out of love for my fellow captives and as an act of goodwill. I was saying, I, I, but he never says whether he believes it or not. He wrote Simone so Bouvier. He said that he wrote a moving play that made many men cry, right? Wow. Interestingly enough, Simone Bouvier is also considered in France and Europe, the father, or the, excuse me, the mother of what we consider false feminism, that, that, that women are only made free by not having children. Mm. Um, mother, women are only made free by not entering their motherhood. So you can imagine those conversations. But anyhow, so all that to say that even people from the outside 
recognize that one of the fundamental you know, components of Christianity is this willingness to enter into suffering so much so that we even believe in a God who came and suffered for us to yeah. be with us, to redeem that suffering, not only to make it pedagogical to teach us, but also to, to make it something that's an opportunity for us to grow and enter into to become who we're called to be. Mm. So we don't run towards it. We don't run away from it. We enter into it. And God willing, we enter into it prepared. Yeah. And that's just it because it's a profound act of faith right in the moment where suffering mm-hmm. is staring you in the face. It's a profound act of faith to, to not run. Yes. You know, to not even sort of maybe claw at it and grasp and, you know, sort of what I keep finding is it, 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 you need a receptive posture. Yeah. And also uh, a profound anticipation in the midst of suffering that God is going to pierce through it, that the beauty of his love is ultimately going to redeem it. And I think the biggest take home in this conversation for me, Ryan, is thinking about, okay, what brings my heart joy? What breaks my heart with sorrow? Is it worthy? Is it worthy of my dignity? Is it worthy of my love? And I mean, I know that this episode is releasing well into the springtime, but I am thinking a lot about a passage that just kept hitting me over and over and over again back in November and December. And come on, we've heard this a million times, but it's the experience of the three wise men Mm -hmm. as they look at the star. I mean, over Bethlehem, I can't quite imagine the joy of that moment. Which, Which, by the way, the Bethlehem star will be on full view. Or uh, was on full view, rather, uh, this Christmas time. For the yeah. first time in 800 years, which yeah. is the alignment of Jupiter and Saturn. Anyways, I'm Basically sorry. Basically like on the winter solstice. Yeah, on the winter solstice. So it's actually probably most likely the same star the three wise men saw, the same it's alignment. Like, the world probably is coming to an end, right? Yeah, maybe. Maybe, maybe. 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 Who can say? Yeah, who can knows? say? Knows? But this is so beautiful. that The wise men are now going after they've rendered, well, they're going to render homage to the Messiah. And after receiving these instructions from Herod, they set out and behold, the star they had seen at its rising proceeded ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. The sight of the star filled them with great joy. And so they entered into the house. They beheld the child with Mary, his mother. They fall to their knees. They pay him homage. The rest is history, right? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But this one line, this is Matthew 2, verse 10. The sight of the star filled them with great joy. What are the sights Hmm. in our own day-to-day lives that fill us with great joy? What is it that breaks our heart with tremendous sorrow? And the reality is the answer to that question is very likely connected to what or who, better yet, we Mm -hmm. worship, right? And so I hope for me, day in and day out, it is more and more God that my heart rejoices in and his love that carries me through suffering and not all of the the petty, mutable, constantly changing realities of my day-to-day life, which doesn't pull me out of the ordinary, pull me out of the mundane, Mm -hmm. as we talked about a month ago, but rather helps me press in more deeply because God is there. Yeah. And, and, with I, us. and I'll just say to you, I mean, if you are suffering and you're in that moment of suffering and you, and you want to enter in, you, you ought best not do it alone. Mm. I mean, this is the other great truth of suffering is that predisposes us to our need for God, yes, and, and for others. Yeah. And so if, if you're suffering, seek community, seek help. And if you know somebody who's suffering, enter into that with them. For crying out and loud. It, yeah. And it doesn't look like you solving the problem. You know, it really, it's funny. I remember going, you know, I think all my most profound moments or probably in moments of suffering, I yeah. can probably admit. I remember talking to a priest one time, this great biblical scholar who, I mean, you know you're a biblical scholar when your entire dissertation was spent on one chapter of the book of Daniel that <laughs> happened to be written in Babylonian. So this this guy, you know, this priest, this is, he, he actually knew ancient Babylonian. The guy was a, a genius. Anyways, he talked about how much activity is required to stand still. 
so I remember going to confession one time <laughs> and he said, I, you know, for your, your penance, I want you to read that chapter of Exodus where God demands they stand still. And it's interesting, he doesn't say to be passive, right? It's actually a call to activity, but the activity is such in which you are standing still, waiting, abiding in trust for God to show up. Yeah, yeah. And it's always struck me in moments of suffering, we're not called to be passive. We're not called to run away from it. You know, but we're called to, to actively stand in that brokenness and invite God into it and invite others into it. Mm. And others need just to be willing to show up. I mean, yeah. literally to show up. Yeah. Like the worst thing to do from someone's you know, suffering is say, I, I know how to solve your problem. I know your pain point. I have something to sell you. Like right now, go to Facebook during COVID and everyone is giving us a cure for our problems. And, and that's fine if you have a cure, but you probably haven't earned the right to give it to me until you've been willing to show up. Yeah. And so we need to be really comfortable with, with recognizing the brokenness of the world. And that brokenness doesn't define us, but it helps us understand who we are. Mm. So enter into it, but don't enter into it alone. Invite God into it, but invite others. Mm. I, I really wish that my conversation with my deepest friends went more like, how are you suffering? What's breaking your heart? What's filling you with joy? What is your life truly about and is it worthy of you? And I can tell you, if I had those conversations much more readily than how's the weather or how's your job <laughs> or what's bugging you, I would probably be a better person. You'd be more human every yeah, step. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Ryan, nothing else to say to conclude this conversation. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's well into the springtime. We are well into the, the season of Easter, yeah. which is a w- beautiful reminder that joy follows suffering because yeah. the resurrection follows the cross. So uh, we'll do this again in about a month. And until then, have, a, have an amazing, you know, life. Amen. <laughs> Amen. An amazing month. We'll see you soon. Praise God. Peace. You're listening to I Know You by Jillian Edwards. A lot of the music that you hear excerpts of on the Love Good podcast are in fact featured first on our YouTube channel. Okay, that means these are live music videos from Love Good artists, artists that we just absolutely feel privileged to work alongside, who often come into our studio or come into my home there in Nashville to record these epic live music videos. And what you've heard today, both from Stephen Day at the beginning of the episode and now Jillian Edwards, you can find all on our YouTube channel. This is really important and very easy to miss because YouTube, like a lot of crazy things out there in our lives right now, it's just full of options, full of endless options. And you wanna go and subscribe to the Love Good channel, hit the bell so that you never miss whenever we are releasing a new video. I would say at least a couple times a week between the podcast, between live music videos, between live streams, we've got a video waiting for you and waiting to be enjoyed by you. And so if you're not yet subscribed, go to youtube.com slash lovegoodculture, get subscribed to our YouTube channel, and just know that we're praying for you as always, especially when you think about this conversation as deep as it went, as tough as it sometimes is to think about, suffering is a part of the human experience. It's part of what makes us human. And therefore it's something that we can't do alone, that we can't do without some sense of purpose, and obviously some sense of what it really means 
to unite our suffering with that of the Lord's so that we can truly stand with people and be in solidarity with their suffering along the way as well. God bless you guys. Nothing but love and prayers from Tampa, from Nashville, and you know, from every corner of the world where there is a Love Good patron somewhere out there building a better culture. Y'all inspire us. You're the reason that Love Good exists. And as always, we can't wait to see you next week. Peace. Thanks for listening to the Love Good Podcast. Share this episode link on social media, leave us a review, and join our movement today by subscribing as a patron at joinlovegood.com. You'll start enjoying our premium content and seasonal packages that not only raise your standard for music, books, and art, but that also inspire you to evangelize culture through beauty. We can't wait to accompany you as you change the world.